So we have guests to be on to talk about policy. So do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, are we starting? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Kenichi. Um, I ship post on Twitter. Yep. Do you want to give me a handle or anything? Oh, sure. It's um at Michigan Sock. Kenichi is a who's Carl Eleven by the way. I just was wondering because I would be Carl Eleven. Oh, Carl Levin. So he's a former. He was a U.S. senator from Michigan. Uh from like 1978 to 2014 and um, I just like him a lot and I agree with a lot of his uh, policies. Another Michiganian, I see. I'm sorry, say that again? I said another Michiganian, I see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, yeah, so first of all, do you want, do you want to give your definition of liberal interventionism? Um, sure. So, Liberal interventionism, uh, in my view, is basically if there is a country that uh, has invaded and annexed another sovereign country, if there is a country that is waging a genocide against uh, innocent people, if there is a country that is dropping barrel bombs on cities full of civilians and indiscriminately killing uh, thousands and thousands of innocents, then under these kinds of circumstances where either they've actually invaded another country and are trying to expand or if they're um, engaged in mass killings, I think that the international community, usually led by the United States, um, should militarily intervene. Um, usually, usually just a no-fly zone suffices, but sometimes more. The international community should intervene to put an end to those atrocities. Uh, so um, would you also say that can be non-military? Um, would you say the bill intervention first to military intervention? Well, I think when we talk about liberal interventionism, we're usually just talking about the use of military force. Um, Non-military stuff, I guess, just gets into a, the broader doctrine of um, liberal internationalism. But, you know, obviously, I, I don't just support using the military. I support using uh, diplomacy first and war as a last resort and things like that. But when... Um, you know, people are being killed right now, and there are bombs being dropped right now, and there is a genocide going on right now. Um, the time for diplomacy at that point is over, and I think military intervention becomes your only option. So, you talked about the drone strikes? The what? I was saying, like, drone strikes, basically, and that type of stuff, the, the meme that lefties have. Uh, I'm just hating it. Wait, what do you mean, though? Like, do I hate drone about, strikes? I, no, I'm just saying, like, would that be one of your first ones? Because I know basically every lefty would just say that how they hate that. Well, um, I'll say your question, like, would we use drones in a liberal intervention? Yeah, well, like, what's your opinion on that one? Because a bunch of lefties have... Sure, take sure. Well, um, drones, 
are, um, in my view, actually better than conventional um, gravity bombs. Gravity bombs and, and depleted uranium as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they kill less civilians than um, conventional bombing. So, if we were doing conventional bombing against Al Qaeda or something, we would be killing far more <laughs> civilians than we are with drones. And of course, we want to avoid every civilian casualty, but in a war, that's not possible. So we want to minimize it, and that's what drones effectively do. Um, they're also able to stay in kind of circle in one place for longer, so you could they're more effective operationally um, in that sense. And you have like more of a time frame too. Yeah, you have more of a time frame where you can decide if you want to use it. Because when mm -hmm. you have it, you can also decide if you want to actually use it. Usually with them, that's one of the nice things. Um, because yeah, exactly. not, like, you can wait around. Operate. Yeah, and mm -hmm. they're not to have operating. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also generally even move um, a human out of that uh, out of the combat position, which generally makes it easier to have less casualties. Yeah, that was the third point I was going to make. It's safer for U.S. service members, obviously. Um, and so, in terms of how it relates to like a humanitarian intervention or liberal intervention, um, yeah, it would probably be. Um, under some circumstances part of that. So like it, when we had no fly zones over Iraq um, in the 1990s and the early 2000s, um, we didn't use drones because the technology didn't really exist yet, obviously. Um, and when we uh, intervened in Libya and established no fly zones and no drive zones, we used some drones, but it wasn't very extensive. But I can like imagine a future intervention where um, you know we use drones to take out uh, military personnel that are committing atrocities, or to uh, block a road of like a military convoy that's on their way to erase a city, or you know it could be definitely yeah. part of the formula. Also, also mouse on the um, boot chat telling me to call you a beta. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I just had to get that one read. Amazing. So. So now, um, so what would be your plan around? What would be your plan around how you would want to like standards that like? What what currently would you go for as standards set for engagement? Like, just anything that violates UN like law would be a justification. Like, um, international law would be a justification for in um intervention, or would you say like a different standard? Um, I think the threshold should still be pretty high. So, like, if it was just, you know, the violation of international law, then the Iraq war would have been justified because um, Iraq was violating international law at the time. And I don't support, and I wouldn't have supported the Iraq war. Um, but I think the threshold should be limited to, I mean... I can try to come up with an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's something that I'll miss. But essentially, when the U.S. is attacked, obviously, when our allies are attacked, um, when a sovereign country, when the territorial integrity of a sovereign country is um, uh, infringed upon by another country, so for example, Kuwait in 1991, when they were annexed by Iraq, um, so those are like 
the three, I think. Oh yeah, and then obviously if there's a terrorist organization that's um, attacking us, and if um, this doesn't uh, matter so much say, anymore. Hmm? Would you also say an um, inter- breaking of human rights too, or a breach of like human rights? Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was getting. Uh, that's what I was getting to. But uh, the fifth thing I was about to say: this doesn't really matter anymore since we're energy in a, energy in a, oh, Jesus energy independent. But um, previously, I think it would have been justified. Um, it was called the Carter Doctrine, where um, anything that happened in the uh, Middle East related to oil was now our business because it was so critical to our uh, energy supplies and the world's energy supplies. Um, but that's not as relevant anymore. And then the final category is mass atrocities. So this is um, genocide, of course, uh, violent genocide, and where people are being killed and um, just mass killings in general. So it doesn't have to be genocide, but if um, some dictator is bombing his own people or gassing yeah, his dem- own people. So like democide as well? Yeah, well, I think democide ma- can describe like state police executing people, so I wouldn't go that far, but like Gaddafi ordering his troops to erase Benghazi, or Benghazi, my bad, and um, <laughs> Benghazi, and slaughter innocent civilians, or um, Assad in Syria gassing his own people and dropping barrel bombs on innocent civilians. I think those things do warrant intervention. Oh, yeah. and one final thing that is obviously is like the irresponsible development of nuclear weapons. So if Iran, if we're not able to get Iran back into the nuclear nuclear deal, and they get uh, nukes, then a intervention is probably justified. Do you see a reason for them to want nukes after all the intervention we did? Could you at least see like a moral reason for them to want nukes, basically, because they've just been like, Israel has nukes, and then everybody else in that region, and a lot of the countries in that region have nukes. So could you see an, at least more arguments from their side for wanting to well, build up the nuclear program? I can see why they would want nuclear weapons, but um, I don't really care, <laughs> I guess, about their reasoning. They just shouldn't have nukes. It's not good for the region. It's going to kick off a regional arms race. If they get nukes, Saudi Arabia is going to get nukes. Israel's going to get more nukes. Um, Turkey might do some shit, right? Um, so, and just they're already a, a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, so them developing nuclear weapons would be a violation of international law. Um, and I generally want to move in a direction where less countries have nukes, not more. So, you know, a you, nuclear you, Iran would be pretty bad. You can see why, like, some people would say basically that you're being too paternalistic with them. But, it, it, but you could see, could you see that point, or is it just kind of dumb of like lefties? Like the reasoning yeah, for Chappell. why they would want uh, nukes. You can know you can know Chapel says that talk about that a lot, basically with like. They want it so they can like defend themselves after all the intervention, but that kind of tends to be pretty dumb. Well, I understand the argument, and like if that, I'm sure that's an element of their reasoning. Um, but I just don't. I just think it doesn't, you know, outweigh the reasons on the other side. And I think it, yeah, like I just, I, I just don't care. So 
would you say we've done, we've done, would you say a track record with how we've done, handled the intervention is not the best, right? Um, no, it's definitely not like the best. Like current track record with intervention, would you say that we have not performed well? Um, I think we've yeah. performed better. Where would you point to as a good example of liberal intervention than working? Would you have any country where you could point to that working well? Yeah, so um, an example people often bring up is the Balkans in the 1990s when Milosevic was uh, carrying out a genocide and the U.S. and NATO and the international community intervened to put an end to it. And uh, we didn't intervene early or as, as much as we should have, but we did succeed in ending the genocide and saving uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, so that was a very successful um, intervention. And to go back to your earlier point, I think U.S. intervention gets a bad rap, um, but it does a lot better than it gets credit for. For example, people point to Libya as like a horrible, uh, you know. Horrible, I think horrible, I think what we did in Libya kind of justified. I think Libya justified. Well, yeah, like, yeah, like, but like people say that. Yeah. Uh huh. And so, what we did there is we found out that Gaddafi had told his men to slaughter civilians and um uh, and uh, bomb cities. And so, with UN authorization this time, we established a no-fly zone and no-drive zones and prevented those atrocities, um, which ended up helping the rebels, of course. But So we prevented another Syria from occurring, basically. So it was successful in preventing those mass atrocities. That element of Libya was a total success. The problem with Libya was the aftermath and the reconstruction where the Obama administration got um, distracted by other things like Syria, so they stopped paying attention to Libya so much, and then you know ISIL was was allowed to proliferate in Syria, and various, and now of course they're in a civil war again. Um, so we screwed up the reconstruction, but the actual intervention was a success. Would you say um, that any good? Would you also say I've seen a lot more successful examples of us using economic like intervention to to like basically stop them but would you also say have you would you also say that's one of the useful tools is, i feel like lefties also sometimes because give that a bad rap because of what we did so like cuba basically they see all economic intervention is just being like fringe oh like sanctions yeah like sanctions because basically that's probably one of our most effective tools is because of how much of the economy like us and our like and our like the western bloc basically owns yeah, I think when we talk about sanctions, we have to be, we have to divide it into two categories. So there's sectoral sanctions and there's targeted sanctions. Sectoral sanctions are like we freeze all your oil assets and we're going to block all oil imports into your country and we're going to try to destroy your entire um, oil sector or some other sector, right? And um, that is what we did with cuba in a lot of ways well we had a total embargo on cuba but that is what we are doing uh, in some ways with venezuela we have a sectoral sanction on them in terms of their oil industry but you what we're doing to wait would you say what we're doing to venezuela is a good action by the way because i think because i don't well, think that's the best intervention yeah, yeah i'll get to that um but 
targeted sanctions are like freezing the bank account of Maduro or Assad or the military of another country. It's much more limited. It doesn't impact civilians as much. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it only impacts the finances of whoever's in charge of the country that we're sanctioning. Um, so targeted sanctions are generally really good. Um, sectoral sanctions, I think you have to be a lot more careful for, careful with, um, and for example, with Venezuela, um, you know, I need to read up on this again. It's been a while, but uh, the sectoral sanctions that we've launched against Venezuela have basically done nothing um, in removing Maduro. It's only made the humanitarian situation worse. Um, so I think there's a case for lifting the sectoral sanctions but keeping the targeted sanctions. Other elements of the intervention toolkit that we have. Uh, say, that, say that again. What are some other? I know we have. We know we could do soft power intervention too. But what are some other intervention methods that the U.S. had access to? Um, I mean, growing increasingly, cyber, cyber warfare, um, is a way. And with regard to the ongoing genocide of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang in China, um, some people have raised. Uh, well, so like obviously we can't just bomb China. They're a nuclear power and everything. There are big Yeah, and so some people have brought up using cyber warfare to disrupt their operations in Xinjiang to uh, minima minimize or prevent or end. Uh, the genocide, and I think that's interesting. It hasn't really been tried, to my knowledge. I, th well, I think we've done a couple instances of it. Like, I know we did one, I believe, basically, we messed with an oil delivery system, I believe, for a country, and basically took out a major thing of piping to them, just like the program to basically explode. I think we also did that with one of the nuclear um, nuclear enrichment centers, the uranium enrichment centers for Iran, I believe we did that. So we have done stuff like that. Yeah, we have used cyber warfare before, but I'm saying we haven't used it on a, such a large scale as like preventing a genocide. We haven't done it on a, on a humanitarian basis and not on that scale. But I think it's an interesting idea that should be explored. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I mean, it's also just a useful tool too as well, because we don't even have to come from the top, just to threat really, you know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. the nice thing about what we have, is that we have like amazing force projection where we could roll up like if we had to, is a submarine, and then we could basically have the entire country within like striking distance if we really needed to. <laughs> yeah. But I find it disappointing. It's like this, you know, you mess with America, you know. Mm -hmm. So would you? So would you point out where do you think we went wrong with our intervention in Afghanistan or like Iraq? Besides, like already like um funding the Mujahideen, which like after that, where did we kind of go wrong with? with with um, our intervention. Oh, well, I think funding the Mujahideen was good, but let's talk about um, Afghanistan oh, now. So the Mujahideen is distinct from the Taliban. We did not fund the Osama bin Laden in the 1980s. Uh, the Pakistanis funded him. We didn't. Um, we did not fund the Taliban in the 1980s. We funded the Mujahideen. They were, um, you know, to use a leftist term, fighting an anti-imperialist struggle against the Soviet Union, which had invaded their country and was committing acts of genocide against Afghans. And so we gave them the training and the weapons necessary to expel the Soviet 
invaders, and they were successful in that. It was a very um, remarkable thing. It was the first time the Soviet Union had been defeated in a war. Um, and it kind of kicked off the end and the f collapse of the Soviet Union. So I think that was a very good thing. And we prevented um, the total occupation of Afghanistan and the continuation of the atrocities against Afghans. I mean, the Soviets were literally rounding up children, women and children, and massacring them or running them over with tanks. Um, and so um, these things were happening. We gave them a way to fight back, and they were not terrorists. They were not the Taliban. They were not Osama bin Laden, and they were successful. And then the problem again. This is a, the consistent problem in U.S. foreign policy is failing up, failing the uh, yeah, reconstruction. We don't finish it. Yeah. So, even, so Charlie Wilson, who's the congressman who kind of kicked off the whole effort with the Mujahideen, even he said, uh, "We screwed up the end game." Um, and he's right. You know, we should have spent money building schools in Afghanistan, building roads, investing in that country, but we didn't because we were dealing with everything that was going on with East, in Eastern Europe with the fall of the Soviet Union. That was a mistake. And that uh, contributed to the uh, rise of the Taliban. Uh, the we could have done like a, hmm? like I was saying, we could have done like a Japanese style. And um, uh, if we did a Japanese style, we can talk and like, we could have had like very valuable trade allies in like Afghanistan and stuff. Instead, we basically yeah, just I went. Instead, we did it like we didn't pull out, but we also didn't, but we also didn't like fully stay in and help reconstruct. We did like sure. the worst of both. Yeah, um, maybe not as involved as Japan. Like we literally occupied Japan, but yeah, something similar to that where we actually invested in that country. Like a Marshall Plan for Afghanistan would have been would have been good, I think. Um, and when it comes to the current intervention in Afghanistan. Um, the problem was basically, uh, well, it started under Bush and it continued under Obama, obviously, but um, the Bush administration was very wary about working with uh, local warlords, so they were very selective about picking their allies in Afghanistan. I think that was a mistake. They would have had more support if they were like, you know, we'll take anybody that fights the Taliban. Um, they also failed to um, recognize um, basically the Taliban suing for peace. And you know, you get the old refrain, we don't negotiate with terrorists. But right now, the Trump administration is, uh, is negotiating with the Taliban, right? Like, we were always going to have to negotiate with the Taliban. And, you know, just I think like a year after we first invaded in 2001. The Taliban actually said, okay, okay, stop, we'll sue for peace. And the Bush administration ignored them and kept on fighting. That was a mistake. Um, the final mistake, uh, which is mostly, or no, the third mistake, which is mostly Bush's fault, is that, um, and we knew this was happening, the Taliban, their leadership was regrouping in the mountains between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And the Bush administration didn't do anything about it until it was very late. Um, we started using drones against their leadership in Pakistan, um, I think in 2006. But if we had started earlier, um, I think it's very likely that we would have prevented the Taliban from regrouping and we would have prevented them from regaining uh, much of the ground that they've regained in Afghanistan. The final mistake, I think, was the uh, surge. 
that Obama implemented in 2009 as soon as he got into office. I mean, people like David Petraeus were like, well, we did this surge in Iraq, so we've got to do it in Afghanistan. But the difference, <laughs> there's so what, many differences the between... Hmm? Wait, what, what's the third, just like, to define it? Oh, um, we sent about like 100,000 more troops into Afghanistan in 2009. Um, and we recommitted ourselves to the war. And it obviously didn't really do anything. There were initial gains, but they were rolled back over time. And, you know, um, it's like Vietnam, where sending more U.S. troops isn't going to do anything. Um, I think that was a mistake. So I think the war could have ended a lot sooner. Um, but in the situation that we're in now, um, I think... You know, we want to continue to support the rightful uh, Afghan government, which is obviously not the Taliban. We should implement the peace agreement that the Trump administration has uh, negotiated. It's probably not going to work, but we should try. And in the meantime, um, if the Afghan government will permit it, we should keep a small residual uh, counterintelligence and counter uh, terrorism presence in Afghanistan. Also, one of the things, should we have kept up, should we, I, I think another problem too is we didn't keep up the, a culture of democracy there. Like we kind of went there and we didn't fix kind of the underlying problems with the system until they didn't have like a like, um, breath of democracy really. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, demo like an actual democracy obviously takes generations to build up, but we didn't do nearly enough in terms of the reconstruction. Again, that was the problem here, or one of the problems here. And, um, you know, if you compare the money we spent on the war to, like, uh, how much we spent on schools or anti-corruption or all these things, like, it's an insane, staggering difference. So, um, yeah, I think we should have spent more money and time on the reconstruction. And I mean, also, should we have like encouraged comp like American companies to like to invest in like um Afghani like areas, like some something some plant programs to encourage um like American companies to invest in like Afghanistan? Are you saying if that was? Are you asking if that was a bad thing? Yeah. Um. No, I so, think like, I don't think we investment like, in Afghanistan we, is good. Yeah, could we encourage some investment, but I believe it was limited in what we invested in. Like, we didn't we build, like, much civic infrastructure and stuff. We should have done more. Yeah. So how about in South America? How about in South America? Let's move there. Because the Middle East and stuff, there's a lot of, like, okay, these interventions are actually good, even though these things failed. Like, but in South America, would you say a history of intervention is usually negative? Um, yeah, I think South America is a... Uh, kind of poignant example of U.S. intervention where it's not motivated by human rights, right? Like, it's almost like, every, it actually like fought against human rights in many cases. Yeah, um, almost every single intervention that we ever did in South America had nothing to do with human rights and purely with imperialism and strategic interests, and that goes back to like um, the uh, American-Mexican War. Um, but yeah, so I think the, you know, I would say the vast majority of those interventions were wrong, made things worse, things like that. It was tr often driven during the Cold War, Cold War by that logic of, oh, we have to prevent 
a communist beachhead in right. South America. So when we intervened against Allende, well, it was already, the coup was already going to happen, but we aided the coup. Um, we aided a coup in Bolivia. We aided a coup in Brazil, all over the place, right? You um, didn't name the country we didn't really um, help a coup in. Say that again. I said it would be easier to name the country we really we didn't help a coup in in the Middle East. I mean, uh, yeah, sorry, it's a smaller country. number. Um, yeah, so I think that is those interventions. Oh, and um, you know, I think I have to bring up Operation Condor. That was despicable, um, where the CIA basically aided fascist death squads in killing political dissidents. Um, I think our history of intervention in Latin America um, is just deplorable and um, a black spot on U.S. history that we should never repeat again. I'm trying to think of the capital, Singapore. Um, I'm forgetting the name, but it's the, oh, Indonesia. Yeah, it's Indonesia. I'm trying to think of one doctrine. But it was basically we encouraged them to like just kill people and just like take them in the night. If I oh, the Jakarta doctrine. The yeah, Jakarta yeah, doctrine. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I remember the one guy who wrote a book on that. I'm going to read it up then. It looks interesting. Mm-hmm. But so would you say that was like we've done like major failures like and I and like. That's more imperialism than like intervention, really. Yeah, that was. I think it's fair to characterize that stuff as imperialism. Ever done like? Do you do you can you think of any good in, interventions we've done in like South America? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Well, actually, in the 1990s, um, there was a coup in Haiti, and the UN authorized a U.S.-led intervention. Uh, against the coup government, and we were able to successfully restore democracy to that country. That was an example of a good intervention based on um, human rights and democracy and things like that. Um, but by and large, our interventions in Latin America have been pretty bad. So another thing, thing I heard is, so should we have done more? To, sorry to get back to the Middle East, but should we have done just remind me with like bringing democracy. Should we have done more to like help aid the Arab Spring, like aid people who were doing that, and like spread like really just like spread stuff on social on their social medias as well? Like, should we have tried to do more to like to help like spread the Arab Spring? I think so. So um, when we talk about this, I think we have to distinguish between military intervention and just other um, softer forms of inter- intervention, like monetary like cultural support. or yeah. Um, so I don't support the use of military force. I don't support the use of military force for the sole purpose of changing a government to, I don't support the use of military force for, um, you know, ending an authoritarian regimes and trying to usher in democracy. It doesn't work. Um, and if we followed that logic consistently, we would end up invading like half the countries in the world. And that's not tenable, obviously. So that's why, for example, I oppose the Iraq war. Um, but when it comes to softer forms of intervention, I think with the Arab Spring, um, we should have gave them more support because, you know, they're fighting for a legitimate democracy and or they were and uh, uh, giving them money and aid and things like that would have Help them and a great deal, I think. And help, like, spread stuff on social media, too. Like, because we could have, like, easily, with some of the bot stuff we've done on social media, we could have set up, like, a whole bot network and basically just really push that, like, the Arab Spring on basically everyone would see it. I mean, 
Yeah, I think that could have been a could have been, could have been something we yeah. uh, we should have done. So to, to get to that point, though, that, that, to jump off this point, so how about in like how about like with the curve, like so what we did to the curve. First of all, we basically you know, we identified going on and um, Java of basically the curve's people. But so do you think? But do you think like that's a really good example of our intervention? It's almost working perfectly if we had if we would have stayed in there. Like we basically put no soldiers in risk if they stayed there, and we just really protect the country from like legit genocide. Like, yeah. Well, um, what we did to the Kurds, or more accurately, what Trump did to the Kurds, because it was against yeah. his Secretary of Defense's advice, it was against Congress's advice, it was against everybody's advice. I believe. Like, um, I believe. So to get off to one thing quickly, I believe in Bolton's book, it would be basically that Erdogan confused Trump with a lot of acronyms um, until Trump started thinking it was saying, so he managed to get Trump to pull out. To pull out. Right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah, but so um, you can get back on that one. It was just an ama- amazing thing to read about how we just basically yeah. destroyed a country because um, our president got confused by acronyms. Yeah, it's fucking crazy how that guy operates. But, um... The um, yeah, no, I think it was a deplorable decision. Um, we basically basically condemned the Kurds to uh, mass deportation, death, and uh, basically ethnic cleansing. And uh, if we had stayed, all of that could have been prevented. So yeah, I think unequivocally we should have stayed. We could we could have built up like a really valuable ally too as well because the Kurds were like an amazing fighting force too as well because it was very. They may have to be very defensible in their methods. Like, mm-hmm. That was one of the good things of like having like a somewhat anarchist military structure. Basically, they were able to just be very defensible. Not, yeah. Not really. and, yeah. And so, and it's kind of weird reading more about them. Basically, the thing that like centralized them at all was basically just a, respect, a shared respect for Akalon. And what I read about Akalon, the guy sounds even cooler, but, but I'm going to have to do another episode on that. But so, okay. so um, would you say now? So on on this topic too, with helping different allies, do you think what can we do to like help address countries like um Turkey or like Israel or Saudi Arabia that we're all allies with? Like, how could we maybe help first of all like spread democracy and like kind of like move them in a better direction? Well, um, Israel, um, well, there's democratic backslide backsliding there, but they are still. Definitely a democracy, so I don't want to yeah. lump them in the same category as Turkey or Saudi Arabia. But um, yeah, like, when it comes, I, I didn't to, even put them in there, but I'm just talking about the ones that like leftists talk about the most. Right, right. Um, I think with Turkey, there's a case for possibly kicking them out of NATO. Um, although we have to balance that against our strate- strategic interests. Um, in terms of countering Russia and maintaining some kind of influence over the Middle East, but would you say would you say NATO also allows us to better control them as well? So then we can also hang NATO over their head, basically. Um, so like they can't like attack NATO not forces. Not really. Well, like, yeah, they can't attack NATO, but they're not going to attack NATO yeah, ever. Yeah, I'm just saying, way, like right? we were able to use that like, to help the Kurds and stuff as well. Like we were able to use some of those things. But, you could, but yeah, yeah. When so, we were actually there, um, it would have helped. But now that we've left, um, we should kick them out because they're like legit backlighting into fascism. Mm-hmm. There was um, an article 
from the Brookings Institution, I think. That was like a democracy promotion agenda for the incoming Biden administration. And it laid out a bunch of concrete uh, policy steps that we could take um, to kind of advance democracy without using military force. Um, I think I'm always going to support those kind of things um, in places like Saudi Arabia or Turkey. But uh, when it comes to those countries, I also think we have to recognize that um, well, just you know, looking at the historical track record, dictatorships that are allied with the U.S. or aligned with the U.S. Um, have a history of becoming more liberal over time and democratizing over time. So I think we have a better shot at turning these countries um, into liberal democracies and alleviating the human rights situation if we stick with them um, rather than not. And, um, you know, this is a world where there are always going to be dictatorships in some form or another. And so I think we have to, we have to accept that fact and work with them when our uh, strategic interests align. Of course, if they're committing a genocide, then that overrides everything else and we should intervene and cut off our lines and things like that. But it's not reached that point in my view. Um, and when it comes to Israel, oh God, leftists talk about Israel a lot. There's a, the left honestly has um, a really bad anti-Semitism problem. Um, I mean, I, wait, so what, so wait, one thing I will say, sometimes it can get a little too quick to use a citation, but I can see it. Like, I think with the one like person assuming that Israel did the assassination of a nuclear um, scientist who did it, I could see where they would get that information from based on like, the track record of what happened to the nuclear scientist. But yeah, sure. so generally, I do, yeah, generally, like, when left it on my mind, we talk about like the USF liberty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Um, but with Israel, I think, um, you know, the policy of democratic administrations has been to oppose further settlement building, to support the human rights of Palestinians, to support a two-state solution. We should keep at that. Um, I think we can possibly leverage some of our aid to say, like, you know, if you are going to keep, like, like it's at the point where Netanyahu simply doesn't care about a two-state solution anymore, and he just wants to build so many settlements in Palestine that a two-state solution becomes impossible. That's their strategy, right? So I think at some point it becomes necessary to say, if you don't stop this, um, we are going to cut off, I don't know, twenty percent of our military aid or something. Like, well, like we demanded a resignation from like Netanyahu. Would you say like something like that? Uh, I mean, we could demand it. We tried that with a prime minister called Al Maliki in Iraq. It never worked. I don't think the U.S. just telling Netanyahu to um, resign is going to do anything. Well, yeah, we should too. definitely exert pressure on. Israel to respect human rights more while also always supporting the right of Israel to exist as a Jewish state and to uh, you know defend them if they are attacked. They are like a, a crucial state? ally. What? What about like a mix? What about like a state that's like the mix? I've heard people propose a mixed state between the two, but they're basically like one state that's like shared in democracy and stuff. Oh, or like um, or like the unilateral state. That it is. You know, I think it's well. 
Man, Yahoo supports a one-state solution, which would result in the oppression of Palestinians, and a lot of like Palestinian mm-hmm. groups support a one-state solution, which would um, uh, result in the oppression of Israeli Jews. But you know, I think you know maybe hypothetically, there's like a possible okay. one-state. Like that would be like that would be like the best-case solution over like years, like over like decades and decades of like. Over like hundreds stuff. of years. I don't think it's ever going to happen. So I don't know. I don't really, um, I'm not that interested in talking about it because like it's never going to happen. So, so would you say until, um, so do you think the um, left is a bit to like the ideological basically with intervention, with like basically intervention bad here, intervention always bad? I think that the lefties unironically use like some form of like deontology. Yeah, yeah, that does seem to happen. And I think it's really about the Iraq war. Um, that's what it was for me when I was more of a non-interventionist. Um, you know, you grow up in the early 2000s, the late 1990s, whatever, and you come of age during the Iraq war and this war on terror, right? And it just seems horrible. Um, and I think that turned a lot of people away from cases of legitimate intervention to help to stop mass atrocities. Um, and that's another reason why the Iraq war was so horrible and the impact on like, uh, public opinion when it came to, uh, intervention was not good. Um, but yeah, I think it does happen a lot where, so like that's why it happens. Obviously, it's not a logical argument. Um, but yeah, I think that happens. So would you also say like, would you also say like like um we should have also have like more transparency and transparency in how we do like our military intervention and stuff like cause, like more programs that encourage some transparency because like cause, like some of the things that took out like I believe the Pentagon Papers like those took like like forever to come out and we like so much of those like how would you like would would you think that would be a good proposal to the senior officers how to like encourage like any transparency? Um. Yeah, I think you know, obviously, obviously, with matters of national security, um, some things need to be kept secret. But we, I do want to encourage transparency wherever it's um, wise. So, for example, the Pentagon Papers was, I guess, like you mentioned, a horrible. Uh, example where um, the government knew we were losing the war and we uh, kept on going and sending people to die. Um, well, like the enhanced interrogation and or like sorry, that they had interrogation and torture, like in that, yeah, that yeah, that torture <laughs> also. But, um, and for example, with the drone war. Um, the Obama administration reported civilian casualties, reported methods of drone drone strikes, um, but that was voluntary. So the Trump administration was able to reverse it. I think that should probably like, be codified into the law. Wasn't there also flaws in how we did, like, uh, basically saying someone's civilian or not? Basically, we assumed that they were um, enemy combatants. Um, are you talking about signature strikes? Well, like yeah, when basically when we were assuming how many civilians died, if they like looked like the people who we were fighting against, I believe I believe John Oliver is saying that we basically yeah. them, we basically vote them down as enemy combatants. So this, um, if I'm not mistaken, was a practice that started under uh, 
the Obama administration during uh, Leon Panetta's tenure as CIA director, and he was kind of um, he's kind of known for like pulling off the gloves on U.S. drone policy. Um, and so, you know, as you know, a signature strike is where the it wasn't the Defense Department doing this; it was the CIA. They would basically look at footage of people in Afghanistan or in Pakistan or in Somalia or wherever. And um, uh, if they would attribute, if they were engaged in like certain, what they called signature behaviors, they would go, oh, that's a terrorist. So like um, for a period of time, if somebody was like male and in their 20s and they died in a drone strike, they were assumed to be a terrorist based on those facts. So that is obviously too broad. And that led to a lot of civilians being killed and that what, was bad what was the one like um, i'm trying to forget the, i'm trying to remember the name, name of the, what's, the, I'm, what's the name of like the one white blah 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 thing i'm trying to think of the name of the guy white phosphorus yeah like white, phosphorus. white phosphorus i believe it took a while to find yeah it took us a while to find out about that didn't it um are you talking about in iraq in fallujah yeah the yeah um the white phosphorus munitions well that thing honestly gets overhyped because um, we didn't actually use white phosphorus against civilians. Um, under international law and human rights law, we're allowed to use white phosphorus as like to mark a landing strip for uh, our troops or something. Um, and that's what it was used for in Iraq by the military. And um, we didn't use it to commit. We didn't, we didn't gas anybody. Right. Um, so I think that one honestly gets overblown. I think that one was mainly popularized. I think the one Call of Duty game, but isn't that where that whole concept was popularized from? Um, was basically the one white phosphorus mission where you have to just shoot a bunch of white phosphorus. Oh, I, I have no idea. Yeah. But so, but that brings in more another point with the whole drone strike thing. Like, so just for lefties, just think drone strike that bad. Just let's just go over the other alternative that we could have been using, if you will. An so, wait, yeah. an alternative to drone strikes? No, no. Let's just talk about like the worst alternative that there were. Let's just need to hate drone strikes. They don't need to be I'm so sorry. You just cut out. Can you say that again? Yeah, sorry. So basically, like the lefties are always just not bad. Like, uh, like let's talk about the worst alternatives that there are. There's so many worst alternatives. Like, like oh, dumb like if we don't intervene. Or like no, if we like used if we didn't use drone strikes and instead used the even worse options we have. Oh, I don't yeah. think lefties realize how bad the options are. Like we could use mortars, which have like a really, which have an extremely low rate of accuracy. If I mm -hmm. recall correctly, like they do not seem to hit a lot. They have to fire barrages, and they seem to have took out a lot of civilians. Um, we could have been using depleted uranium. I think we put enough in our certain areas to basically irradiate them, just because we've overused it so much. And it's called like I believe permanent like damage to like a bunch of like um American combatants. Um, we could have just you know like used missiles, which would have been like, missiles from range, which would have been even worse. But so basically, no good alternative, no better alternative really is there. Yeah, um, I think once we make the decision to intervene, um, there are certain tools that we have to use, like drone strikes, um, that. You know, they do inevitably cause civilian casualties, and that's horrific, and that's terrible, and no innocent person should die in a war. But in a war, innocent people die. War is hell, right? 
Um, but we do want to minimize civilian casualties. So like you said, the alternatives like conventional bombing, mortars, whatever, are far worse. Um, and then also I think we should talk about how um, the alternative to no intervention can be worse than intervention. So, you know, there's a, um, uh, I don't know his name, but there's a, I think a former Canadian prime minister has this quote I like, that's like, I recognize um, that there are times when it is more important to have justice than to have peace. Um, and so when there's a genocide going on and you can use intervention to stop it, that's not a neutral action. You're actively making the decision to not stop a genocide. So that is the alternative to not intervening. It is enacting itself. Like yeah. enacting itself as a form of action. Right. And it is letting all these innocent people die when invention could uh, uh, prevent their deaths. That is the alternative to intervention. Um, yes. In a lot of cases. Now, speaking of speaking of the mistrust invention, but that brought me to another point. What's an example of us doing a good rebuild, rebuild, like rebuilding or a good reconstruction, like in the modern times? Like, what's a good example of that? Because I know we were able to like reconstruct like Japanese and like the whole Marshall Plan, but what's some other good example of us like doing that? Well, um, Afghanistan has seen it's not good by any standard. Or great by any standard, but um, it has seen, I think, the most uh, effort at reconstruction by the U.S. And to the extent that we have tried, it's worked. There are uh, more people, especially more girls, in schools in Afghanistan than ever before um, by a large amount. Um, and it's a society that is slowly liberalizing. Um, and becoming more stable. Um, I, also, I would also say Pakistan, if I read enough, I believe Pakistan is also getting a lot better, if I recall correctly. I think it's been um, getting better. Yeah, Pakistan is improving, but we have we had less to do, do with that. But I think you raise an important point because there isn't really a, that I can think of, a good, um, like a really good shining example of reconstruction after U.S. intervention. Um, Wait, here's one last, here's one. Um, so you, I know someone's going to talk about this, but South Korea really, like, they started off, like, really far-right nationalists and now are becoming, like, a fairly democratic society. Well, that's just that, one. It, well it, it took decades for them yeah. to become a yeah. democracy. Um, and but, they're not even fully there yet. But. Yeah, and that was, again, at the end of World War II. That was a long time ago. But, so, like, there isn't um, a great modern example, I think, because we haven't um, used... Um, we haven't been willing to commit money and resources into a new Marshall Plan for countries or reconstruction, and I think that's a uh, key failure that has to be changed. Like, can you imagine how useful it would be if we did like that? Like, we have extremely powerful trade um trade allies in very um key regions. Like, we could have yeah, like we could have like we could have like five we could have like six allies in the Middle East now instead of like the like the two main ones we have, or like the three main ones we have, we could have like we could have like almost, we have like most of them like actually actively like working with us. I mean, yeah, I think I think also establishing trade between us and the other nations are usually a good sign because once we can establish trade, it gives us a lot more power we can really deserve. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think uh, just purely from U.S. economic, from a standpoint of U.S. economic interest, you're right. Um, reconstruction would have been better for us in the long term as well. We could have even like basically um, done it like in a way that we could have made interest off of it, like something like that. Like we could have really like made a lot off of that. You know I mean, yeah. Okay. Well. I, I think we're kind of running our topic. This was a really nice episode to record. Any last memes before we kind of plug your stuff? Any like any like good reading on this? Anything that you want to ha- recommend? Um, you know, I, th- I feel like everybody recommends this one, but there's a great book called uh, "A Problem Hem- A Problem from Hell: America in the Age of Genocide" by Samantha Power, which kind of chronicles how the U.S. has never really lifted a finger to stop genocide um, until uh, the Balkans. Um, there's a, you know, I think I'm not a neocon, obviously, but I think um, studying neoconservatism is important and it's often misunderstood. There's a book called They Knew They Were Right, um, which is about the rise of neoconservatism in American foreign policy. That, that's really good. Um, so those two come to mind. Um, oh, people should also read, um, oh, what, what is it called? I think it's called Our Man. It's about Richard Holbrook, who was an American diplomat um, and very committed to this idea of liberal interventionism. Um, and it's a bi- biography of him. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Um, good new- also, any good new- um, foreign policy news sources? Foreign policy news sources. I don't know. Like, um, there's a magazine called Foreign Policy. <laughs> uh, I think the website is like foreignpolicy.com. Um, that's usually pretty good. Um, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, things like that, are generally good in terms of getting a sense of um, uh, um, human rights around the world. Yeah. Doesn't current affairs also do a lot of like foreign policy? I believe? Well, current I affairs. Is that the website? That's the one. That's the one I'm trying to think of. The guy who left recently, the one who basically. Oh, the Intercept. Um, no. Oh, that might be. I thought Kind of Fair is another one. Wait, no. Kind of Fair is the one with the. It's Kind of Fair is like an actual good graphic news source from what I've heard. Kind of Fair, yeah. It's, I'm trying to think of the guy who runs it. I know the guy. I know he's the one who interviewed Bosch. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> might be Current Affairs. Might be the Intercept, but. My advice would be to read neither Current Affairs or The Intercept. They're, um, in my opinion, kind of garbage news sources. Wait, I think the one thing you confusing is... Oh, yeah, Current Affairs is the one with Nathan Robinson. Yeah. Um, I think you're thinking of the Jacobin. Oh, Jacobin is terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think unironically it's worse than some right-wing news sources. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, he, this is Kenchi. Um, he goes by either Kenchi the Co-11 Democrat, or you can just look up Michigan Talk on Twitter. Um, follow him; he's pretty cool. Um, we should also, if you're looking for people to follow, um, follow me at April Dope, please. When I'm actually Dope Pod, I believe. Um, so yeah, 